everyone, and welcome back to Astrology Now podcast. My name is Christine Rodriguez, and I am so excited to be interviewing Kaylee Marks. His name is probably familiar to a lot of you if you follow me on Instagram, but I'm going to give him a complete introduction for those of you who are not familiar with Kaylee. So first of all, Kaylee was born in the tradition of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And so this is a branch of Hinduism and he has studied so much of the Vedas. I'm always so impressed by his wisdom and how much he knows. Also the Bhakti Shastras, and he has been studying the Vedas in the Bhakti Shastras for the majority of his life. He was raised on this with his father um, and his siblings. He has made several pilgrimages to India, spending time in ashrams, communities, and organizations, and has studied with actual masters of bhakti yoga, some of which I have been able to read about and read some of their literature. And I'm always just so amazed with the people he's come into contact with. And so aside from Kaylee's spiritual life, he is also the creator and founder of Podcast Farm, his business, his podcast, Be On Air. And his mission is to help people amplify what they love, helping them discover their own individual and unique voice and strengths so that they can share it with the world and have a really positive impact. Aside from him as a spiritualist and a professional, he's also one of my very best friends who I have so much love for, and I am just so excited to have him on. Kaylee, thank you so much for being here. I love of getting to chat with you about deep transcendental topics. And just thank you so much for having me on, Christine. That was a really generous introduction. <laughs> You're so welcome. And this is actually the second time we're doing this because, <laughs> oh, we had quote unquote bhakti and breakfast this morning, recording it early. And I'm just, Kaylee is a saint and he agreed to record it again because I had so many more questions that I just didn't ask him. So you're the only well, person Well, that's definitely not, not true. <laughs> I'm not a saint, but I, I do think, I'm happy we're doing it again because I was actually uh, wanting to, there's a, there's a, in my tradition, there's a practice of before trying to speak on any of these extremely deep, profound, beautiful, mystical, transcendental topics to mm -hmm. do a Mangalacharna, which is like an auspicious invocation. Um, where we basically offer respects to our teachers and pray for their blessings because this information is handed down throughout the ages from teacher to student. And it's not like our concoction or our thought. It's something that we've, you know, it's information that we've been given. And so it's always good to just uh, take a moment to honor our teachers, ask for their blessings and um, yeah, share, share the, share the juicy knowledge. God, I just, I feel like crying. Like that's just so beautiful. And it's just spoken like a true Magha. <laughs> Magha is all about tradition and lineage. And please, please do, um, please do feel free to, to do the invocation. That'd be beautiful. We'll just do this simple one to Guru. Um, and yeah, it goes like, Om Ajnana Timiranjasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshur Unmilitam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. And Thank that you. is a prayer to Guru who uh, lights the torch of knowledge and obliterates the darkness of ignorance. So may we come out of the darkness of ignorance and into the light of transcendental knowledge so that we can serve others and make the best of this whirlwind crazy ride we are on. Yes. And I just, I seriously, Kaylee, like I have tears in my eyes. Like I just feel 
that was just so beautiful. This is the most beautiful thing that's ever happened on my podcast. Thank you so much for all of this. <laughs> and it's it's Diwali, you know, and it's just uh, the new moon, uh, Raghunath cry. It's just like the sweetest, sweetest thing. And so thank you so much for that. And I really do hope that the wisdom of our teachers can guide the way and that we can speak from a place of authenticity and truth and allow the teachings to speak for themselves instead of trying to teach from a place of ego. So so beautiful and so talking or moving towards the topic and I mean something about you is that you are a wealth of knowledge I feel like we could talk about so many things and earlier you and I were even talking about samskara and neurobiology and having that on the podcast and I think that we should totally do that next time and for now we're focusing on karma and karma is this word that gets thrown around a lot And I, you know, karma comes from Southeast Asia and the religions in Southeast Asia, like Hinduism, Sanatana Dharma and Buddhism. And like you were saying earlier, you're like, this is information that's been passed down. It's not just stuff that we decide that we're going to define it or decide that we're going to create meaning for it. It's already had meaning established through the Shastras, through like really like scientific research and and done on yogis and done on ancient rishis and sages. And so from the lineage, um, and I know that you are steeped in a very specific lineage of Vaishnavism, which is going to be very particular, but still karma and the meaning of karma is pretty similar in Vedic philosophy, I would say. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so how would you, like, what is karma, Kaylee? What is it? Absolutely. Well, in the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the, the primary sacred texts of India, it's sort of, you could call it like the Bible of India, but that, you know, it's, that's just one comparison. Uh, and I, I really do love what you said about it's basically scientific. It's the scientific method, not from the West, it's from the East. And it's just, it's a equally valid method of observation of tests and hypothesis and the results get coded or or get uh, transcribed into these uh, sacred texts or shastras and you know with just my 31 years of life experience i could gain a certain amount of knowledge but i can gain so much more knowledge if i am willing to learn from ancestors and from this wisdom that's been passed down. And so the Bhagavad Gita is one of the most world recognized sacred uh, treaties on, on spirituality, on the soul, on body, on karma, on devotion. And it talks about karma as um, development of the material body. So there's a huge distinction made between matter and spirit in the very beginning of the Gita where the the soul is this indestructible traveling speck of consciousness that wanders from time immemorial throughout all these different life forms. It takes on different forms and it is an eternal being. It is Brahman. It is part of that uh, undifferentiated spiritual substance of, of consciousness. And the material body is made of five material elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. And it is, it is through acting with the material body, it is through developing the material body and, and you know, the things attached to it that create karma, which are 
you know, activities or reactions or their actions, you know, uh, that we, that we choose to make. And sometimes that we don't choose to make. And it even draws a, a distinction that even if we don't do something, we can still generate karma. We can still generate reactions to the actions mm. of, of sitting still and not doing anything. Mm, that is so powerful. And I, I'm just curious, you know, or really, I mean, I, I have a statement and then I have a question, but it's like, I think that what is so important to remember, you're saying that there is karma that can occur even while we're sitting still and not necessarily taking action. Because even though we are like the individual jiva, like um, individual soul, because we have this individual body, we're still completely absorbed by the network of the cosmos. Like we cannot be different. Mm -hmm. And so even though we're sitting still and we're not taking action, action is happening around us. And so because we are here, we are creating karma and, mm -hmm. and we're kind of like um, having an impact on the environment around us, even if we're not necessarily doing anything directly. But my question for you is what types of karma are there? Because I think that especially in the West, we think of karma and it's like, okay, so karma is you do something bad. And so something bad's going to happen to you, or, um, they're going to get their karma, you know, they're going to get their payment for doing something bad or whatever. But karma is actually like a really vast and complicated topic again with these, I don't necessarily want to say rules, but they are definitions. They have their own definition and things that they govern, the different types of karma. And so what types of karma do you feel are important to talk about today? Absolutely. Well, uh, before we even go into the kinds of karma, I just want to give context to where karma sits. So according to the Vedas, karma is one of three processes for elevating oneself to spiritual consciousness. So you have karma, jnana, and bhakti. You have activities, you have knowledge, jnana, and bhakti, devotion. And so uh, these are three processes that we can, we can take to achieve the highest destination. So I just wanted to mention that the karma is one of these three. So the karma, which is, again, these uh, activities that produce results, jnana, which is the search of, of knowledge or, um, you know, uh, mental, mental understanding, and then bhakti, which is love and devotion to the Supreme. Hmm. So there is many different names for different kinds of karma. And there there's, you know, a karma v karma, there's like good actions and reactions, there's bad or sinful actions and reactions, and then there's negation of action. And I think that those are interesting to talk about, but according to the Gita, there's actually some names for different kinds of karma. So there's, there's, if I go out and I commit, let's say some crime or some bad quote unquote activity, I may not receive the result of that action. Just like there's plenty of criminals who've gotten away with murder mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and maybe they don't ever in this life receive the result. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, and and this is you know the result of actions that we've collected over this life and other previous lives. And uh, I believe the name is Sanchita Karma. I'm I have some notes here. I think Sanchita Karma is uh, there's often this analogy of a quiver of arrows, mm -hmm. right? 
mm-hmm. uh, and the arrow flying through the air versus the arrow in the quiver versus the arrow in the target. Then there is uh, Agami karma, which is all, it's like a portion of Parabda karma. So it's like an arrow that's ready to be launched is, is what is said. Um, and then the arrow that's already left the bow and is about to reach the destination is Parabda. And then, um, and, and so I think that's just important because we can go through really intense experiences and feel like, why do I deserve this? You know, why? And it's not a punishment thing. It's not like there is this like old bearded white guy, like casting thunderbolts down at people because they, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, did, did something naughty. It, mm-hmm. it, it's not like that. It's really, it's our own hand punching us in the face is the best analogy that I, I can give. It's, it's our own free will that is catching up to us for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction and so there is the there is the karma that is fructified and is producing results now there's the karma that we've that we've created that isn't producing results yet mm-hmm. do you have anything to add to that no, I just think that it's really powerful. I'm interested in learning a little bit more about the bow and arrow analogy if you if you want to explain it a little bit more, but like from what I'm understanding right now, and again it's like it's so funny because you and I have these conversations all the time and so I feel like we're just having a conversation and <laughs> philosophizing per usual. It's just being recorded. But mm-hmm. um I was going to say that It's like, as you mentioned, simply put, and it's interesting because we can philosophize about the universe and it can seem complicated, but the more that you learn, the more you're like, oh, it's actually really simple. Like action and reaction, you do something, you're going to have an equal and opposite response. And so if there is harm to others, like you were talking about with someone murdering, you may not necessarily pay the consequences in this life. But that imprint already exists. Like that karma that you created exists. It has to have some sort of opposite reaction. And so it may not be in this life, but it, it will likely be in the next life, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and, um, oh, also what I was going to say is like, there's karma that we come into this world with that being said. So there's karma that we're actively creating by our free will, how we choose to live our life. And there is that karma that comes into this life with us that we're going to have to pay off. So for example, for like the serial killer, and again, this is what I'm understanding. You can tell me if I'm on the right track, but it's like the serial killer who commits a crime, doesn't have any repercussion in the current life, dies, moves on to his next incarnation or their next incarnation. And then they end up having some really terrible condition, whatever it may be, what have you, just something awful is happening to them. And so it's like some of these things in our life, it's like it can't necessarily be avoided, you know, and and there are some things where we wonder, like, why am I afraid of dogs or why do I have this really horrible allergy or why do I have this whatever but it, it can be because of something that had occurred in a previous lifetime that's traveling with us. Do you feel like that that's a fair assessment that that makes sense? I do. I okay. do. I mean, and, and the idea of sunscar is interesting, which is like previous life impressions that we bring in. It's connected to our nature. You could even look at like genetic predisposition. You know, there's, there's very, very serious scientific proof that 
obviously like in the womb, we pick up signals outside of the womb Mm -hmm. and are born physiologically differently based on the outside environment. So if, if the actions of our parents are leading, you know, them into traumatic situations or, or, um, alcohol or whatever it affects us right and then even taking that farther our ancestors and their behavior and actions affect us genetically 100 percent proven scientific right now if we took it to the spiritual platform you know it's philosophical speculation but it, it, it makes sense that in the same way based on what what actions we've done what patterns we've kind of embedded into our our, our subtle body or our sort of the, the thing that encases our soul, mm-hmm. um, we not to not our material body, uh, that that would come with us into our next life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that we were talking earlier and again, we definitely need to talk more about this on another podcast, but the, the ancestral trauma or the ancestral karma that we carry with us, it's, it's just kind of like embedded in our DNA, like you were describing yeah. And I, I think that it's, it's good to know because there's sort of some forces acting upon us. There's the modes of material nature, which, you know, Raja, Tama, Sattva, or, or um, passion, ignorance, and goodness, right? That is are like waves of energy that take us hither and zither or thither, hither and thither. <laughs> You know, like we're a boat in the ocean. And then there's the sun scars. There's our previous past impressions kind of influencing us. Um, and so we're we're sort of like affected by a ton of outside forces. Hmm. And we're kind of forced to act up upon those impulses. And this this is straight out of the Gita. So no one can actually refrain from creating karma mm-hmm. except by bhakti except through devotional work through spiritual realization uh, because in that even if we do what looks like action it doesn't produce result it's neutralized Hmm. wow that's so interesting so through devotional service that's the only way that our actions can be neutralized into like non-karma yes and that is a, a, a karma so you have karma which is potentially like good action. You have V karma, which is like sin or, or negative, uh, you know, actions and reactions. And then you have the, like you said, a karma. Wow. That's amazing. And so, okay. So we touched on what karma is and we talked about the different kinds of karma. We talked about Shastra. I don't think that we really defined Shastra, but if people didn't necessarily pick it up, Shastra is, like spiritual texts, it's it's information from sacred literature. But would you have a different definition for that? No, I mean that that's what it is. It is, it is the scientific research of spiritual seekers of India. You know, over the years, writing down, and there is a distinction made of like words written by just a more a man or woman versus like inspired words from the supreme being. Mm-hmm. And there is a there is the claim that the Vedas originate from God. Mm-hmm. Like we yeah. should just put that out there. Like that's it, it would be, in, it wouldn't be reality to pretend that it doesn't say that. It, it's it makes a distinction. Like the Gita is not a symbolic gesture. It is a conversation between Krishna and Arjuna. That's the claim of the Gita. And you know, if if we want to get the juice from the book. 
that's the best way to approach it is to take mm-hmm. it for what it says it is, which is like we were saying earlier uh, on on the other version of this podcast. It's the, <laughs> it's the original podcast. It's a conversation between God and his devotee. Yeah. And I mean, it's such powerful life altering commentary. You know what I mean? It's just it's unbelievable. That's the best podcast. It's so insane how how many people it's affected. And it's it's said in it, it was the, the conversation was had to help us right now, everyone listening. Like it says it's self-referencing in the in the conversation. This is for everyone. Mm-hmm. This is for the future generations where like the, the conversation is being had for our benefit so that we know how to make sense of of this world and what to do and what not to do and mm-hmm. how what what is our highest potential attainment. Yeah, no, for sure. And something else about the Gita and you were talking about the modes of material existence, the gunas. And then you were also referring earlier, you were like, look, in order to create karma, you have to be made of a physical body that's comprised of the five elements. And it's like when we're having that conversation, we're also talking about Ayurveda because Mm. Ayurveda is looking at the elements that comprise our physical body. And then that is evidence in and of itself that the physical form we are born with is a result of previous karma. Do you see what I'm saying? It's really, really fascinating. That's super oh. interesting. Yeah. And health I, issues that we're born with, like any type of pre uh, disposition, because all of us, by virtue of having a body, we're going to be prone to something. And that is a karmic thing that you can see in Ayurveda and that you can see in Vedic astrology, which is why Vedic astrology and Ayurveda are supplements to the Veda, supplements to the spiritual path so that we can understand ourselves in this more like intimate spiritual capacity that can better suit us for enlightenment but go ahead sorry no absolutely and i mean later in the gita it talks about like maintaining the body as as necessary like we do need we we have to maintain the body otherwise we disintegrate and so that's also part of the um the 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 impossibility in a way of stopping to create karma is like we have to in order to keep the body maintained but the loophole is our attachment to anything. And if we can dovetail our attachment in devotional service to uh, to God, to our community, to nature, then we, and we, we do all these activities, we do all this work, but we're not attached to the result. We're doing it for the service itself. That is how we attain the Supreme. That's what the, the Gita in chapter three, verse 19 says, therefore, without being attached to the fruits of activities, one should act as a matter of duty or dharma, for by working without attachment, one attains the supreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what what's really, really interesting is first to act without attachment to the result of our action. It's like we're doing what is best in that moment for ourselves and the people around us. That is how we can really liberate ourselves from that attachment to the fruits of action. Because if we're kind of zoomed in on us and our individual life and our individual self, our actions are inevitably going to be for a specific result because we want this thing, we, you know, want this achievement or we want this status or we want, and, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that, you know. But when we instead broaden our perspective and really kind of cultivate that sensitivity of the heart 
for the souls and the jivas and, and individuals around us. And we ask ourselves, what is the best course of action for myself and also the people around us? It's like that inadvertently is a devotional service. So it, it truly is kind of laying out how to compose yourself to create a life that is a, a karma. karma, a karma. Yeah. Without karma would be a karma. Right. Um, would you say that's true? Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. Yeah, I would. I would. And I think um, I think you're spot on. Okay. That is very profound. And I haven't spoken about this much on the podcast. I mean, I talk about the Bhagavad Gita quite a bit, but um, it's really fun just to dive into you. But so with this information, we've discussed the different types of karma and there are karmas that we come into this world with. There are karmas that we can... Well, there are actions that we can take to alleviate negative karma, like yagya and sacred ritual, mantras. There are karmas that we're going to have to experience. Um, and then there's karma that we're constantly creating. And then you were saying that in order to create a karma, which is going to be a neutralized karma, acting in devotional service for um, the greater good of everybody and kind of offering that. And so what is the, what's the best takeaway? Like what can people do to truly change their lives utilizing the information of karma and bhakti in your opinion? I love it. Yeah. And I, I'll just preface by saying like, uh, I'm in no place to tell anyone what to do with their life. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure all this stuff out. Right. But I think the Gita in, in chapter two, like read chapter two of the Gita for sure, read chapter three, like understanding the material body versus the soul and understanding the idea of karma yoga or offering the fruits of our activities to the supreme and doing things as a service is probably the most important no uh, North Star. And from there, there's a progression because bhakti is such a deep topic and karma yoga is just like the doorway. It's not the staircase. It's not the final platform. It's it's the doorway to devotional service. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily like karma yoga and bhakti yoga and jnana yoga are different processes. And right. while they may lead to the supreme destination, uh, the Gita shares that bhakti yoga is the most profound way. And so I think, honestly, there's a really great, simple practice that the listeners could take away. And I'm sure you're, I mean, I know some of your listeners and there's so many amazing um, spiritual seekers and, mm -hmm. and devotees. And so uh, offering our food is prescribed in the Gita as well. And it's a, it's a perfect metaphor because we are taking from mother nature, whether you're vegetarian or not, like you're taking from nature and we're consuming it. And so it says, if we do not offer, like you were saying, yagya, a sacrifice, if we do not offer the food in some way as a sacrifice, uh, we eat sin, basically. <laughs> it says that we, we verily eat sin. So we, we're implicating ourselves. Uh -huh. uh, if I eat something, I have to come back and be eaten. And some people are down with that. And, there, you know, I, there's like a naturalistic part of Mother Nature vibe where that kind of makes sense. We're all just part of this endless recycling circle of life, Lion King kind of metaphor. Um, but if you look at the conditions of some creatures being eaten and, and devoured and, and farmed and hunted, and it, it's pretty brutal. And I don't think anyone in their right mind would want to be tortured. 
And so it, it says in the Gita, offer me a fruit, flower, leaf, or water, and, and the importance of offering. And so whatever that looks like for the person listening, like taking a moment before integrating again, you know, our, it's, it's the development of our material body that creates karma. If we can offer this literal fruit to the Supreme and take a moment with that, you know, the, the method of the Gaudiya Vaishnavas is you literally have like an altar and you put the food on a plate for, for the Supreme goddess and God, and you say uh, some mantras, or you just, you know, say in your own words and you, you let it sit for a moment and you really like make a sacrifice of the food. And then you eat that food. And that food is said to be transcendental and fundamentally different than just eating some food without any sort of uh, intention or prayer or sacrifice before. And so I feel like that's a really practical way that we can start to work with our karma. Uh, It's said that prasadam, which is food that's been offered, can liberate our ancestors behind us. It can liberate our ancestors going forward. Like it's an, an atom bomb of mercy. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And one of my favorite things about our friendship is cooking together and offering food and having that being like a ritual. And it's like, we're not perfect. We got cilantro and like ate in the car. You know what I mean? You gotta say Hare Krishna quickly as as the bites on the way to your mouth. And we, and you know, but we offer, I I feel like the majority of time when we're together, when we eat, we we offer the food. And something that I want to add is, before I eat, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, it, it like from Godia Vaishnav perspective, if this is enough, but it, this is true. I'm not just fabricating. Like this is a very true thing that I do before I eat. I say a silent prayer and I say, please let this food fuel me so that I can serve others. Mm, and that. so, and, and the energy behind it, you know, it's like these things are put into text for a very specific reason. And when I do that, because I'm, I'm eating throughout the day. So if every time before I eat, I say that to myself, it keeps me in the right state of mind. It keeps my priorities straight. Um, and it keeps me on the path of what I want to do, you know, with astrology now and with my business and whatever, I, I want to serve my clients and I want to uh, do the best that I can. And if I'm repeating that to myself silently throughout the day, it reminds me of my, of my mission overall. And so it's like there, there truly is an energy behind it. It's not like you're doing it to, again, like appease the bearded man in the sky. It's like a co-collaborative experience between you and universe. It's like you sit down and you set that intention. Well, universe is going to fuel you and support you and what it is that your mission is. Does that make sense? I love that so much about you and how you, how you show up in the world. It's definitely one of the reasons why you're, you're one of my greatest allies. And you know, it, it reminds me of like the two fundamental ways of being which are to be exploitative or to be service oriented. You know, the, the, the difference between the material and the spiritual world is said to be one is the realm of exploitation, the material world, where everything is looking for how to get what it needs to, to survive. And then you have the spiritual world, which is where every atom of consciousness is completely devoted to serving every other atom of consciousness. Hmm. And that's just what that reminds me of is like bringing in that spiritual energy of how may I be of service and bridging the gap. Totally. And something that I want to say about you too, and and why you're one of my, seriously, I mean, like one of my greatest allies in this life in which I'm so grateful is it's like, you truly do live what it is that you share. And I know that you are incredibly humble. So you're going to try to deny all of this, 
but you flew out to a different state to assist someone in their sex trafficking. Um, she has a nonprofit for sex trafficking to help in sex trafficking. You flew out to a different state to help her build her establishment and to help amplify her voice. And, you know, this is not uncommon for you. Like you'll drop, drop what you're doing to go help people in devotional service, including me, which I never want to take advantage of. But I think that how you carry yourself in the world and what you prioritize and the people that you see as superheroes, you know, it's like I think that a lot of the world really glamorizes people because they have acting talent or because they have singing talent or whatever. But like for you, the people who you truly uphold and respect and see like the inherent value are people like that, people who alleviate suffering, people who serve others, people who um, have like sincerity of heart and just having you in my life as a friend is like it's like incense you know it, it like clears the air and like creates this sacred space like you're just such an amazing person and anyone would be so lucky to work with you so I'm gonna go ahead gonna and make my me pitch cry. <laughs> make me cry. I love you so much and you're you. so talented and so amazing I wouldn't have done my inner knowing Vedic coaching program without you and your support so I really encourage anyone listening, if you need business advice or support, or you would like to create your own podcast, please seek Kaylee on Podcast Farm because he has that sincerity and he will do everything in his power and the devotional service. So everything in his power to help you get to where you're wanting to go. I appreciate your reflection so much. And we both know how full of shadow and faults I am. And we both know that I am also awesome and have some good qualities too. <laughs> And my teachers get a lot of credit. Friends like you get a lot of credit. And um, ultimately, I think that devotion is a family business. It is we we want to go home, you know. And we, when we meet people who remind us of our actual being and what we really are, it's a profound gift. And it's not guaranteed every life that we get to be with people like that. And so I'm I'm so grateful for you, Christine. I'm so grateful for astrology now. Um, I think that what you're doing with your platform is seriously serving the world and, and sharing these really profound topics that um, can change people's life. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And again, your reflection and opinion means so much more to me. So I, re I really do appreciate you saying that. And um, just kind of wrapping up, is there anything else? So offering food you think is the best way that's a simple well, practice? I have a question for you. Okay. I'm curious about how, how karma and our astrology kind of, uh, interplay together. Yeah. And I mean, this is, maybe we can have an entirely other, <laughs> maybe the next podcast can be this when you just keep the story going, but you know, first of all, when we're looking at our birth chart, we are looking at a genetic blueprint of our karma. So to be analyzing your birth chart at all, you are literally looking at the roadmap of your karma. And everyone has the power to do that. You can go to a generator, generate your Vedic birth chart and see what you've got. You know, what did you come into this world with? What did you create in previous lifetimes that you're still working through in this life? And what karma are you going to be compelled to create in this life? We can absolutely see that in a birth chart. And all of the planets are going to be karmic. All of the planets are going to be attaching us to the material world aside from K2, which is trying to pull us out of the material world. It's the one planet that does not want to be a part of the material world. Um, 
And so K2 is kind of like where we've been and Rahu is where we're going. So even though everything in the birth chart is going to give us a karmic inclination um, or not a karmic inclination, it's going to give us like a karmic insight and insight to the karma, Rahu and K2 are the karmic nodes. So they are going to really um, reveal to us what type of karma we're going to be working with and also what, what karma may not have been completed from a past life, something that we were working on and maybe we didn't quite, quite get. So would you be willing to like, just look at, so where is Rahu in my chart? And just so we could give the listeners like a practical example of how you might interpret something like that. Sure. And it's funny because you asked me this on the previous podcast on the first one we recorded. Yeah. Well, we were, you asked me what, what's the best placement for Rahu and K2 or what would be a good uh, placement for them. And so I ultimately said, I really like seeing them in the Upachaya houses and you lucked out because your Rahu is in the sixth house and Rahu is going to be the area of life that is insatiable, that we can't get enough of. It's going to really move us in that direction. And the sixth house is the house of obstacles and enemies. It's the house of illnesses and diseases, but it's also, and most profoundly, in my opinion, the house of service. And so when Rahu is in the sixth, again, Upachaya means it gets better as time goes on. Typically, there are a lot of obstacles um, in the early life, there are strong obstacles that an individual faces, but Rahu gives the ability to overcome those obstacles. So though there are tough, there is tough opposition, it's usually because you're a tough competitor and you can overcome it. And it, it can give illnesses that kind of come and go that are really random. So you may get some weird skin condition. It pops up two months later, it randomly disappears. No one ever knew what it was. That's the type of thing that Rahu can do in the sixth. That's and, so accurate. <laughs> yeah, I understand very deeply. Um, and it is, it, it will make someone service oriented. And someone who is always going to want to fight for the underdog. You also have, let's see, Rahu for you, I believe is in Capricorn. Yeah, it's in Capricorn. So when Rahu is in Capricorn in general, it's going to give kind of like the underdog effect where you really cheer for the underdog and you want to see people succeed who were at the bottom, which again, it's like you love uplifting people who are struggling. You love amplifying the voice of people who are wanting to bring voice to a good cause because unfortunately we live in a world where charity and nonprofits are not the ones who are celebrities. And so it's like, you're the type of person with Rahu and Capricorn in the sixth house of all places who is going to want to amplify that and um, help people rise to the top and help them overcome their obstacles, help them overcome their enemies. So it really is a beautiful placement. You do have Rahu and the sun, well, you have, you have a stellium there, but I don't want to give away all of your chart, but you also have the sun, which is going to give like a lot of influence from the father, but it's also like father karma. And I think mm -hmm. it's just interesting. That's given crazy. Your, yeah. Uh -huh. That's crazy for the listeners. Um, a lot of father karma uh, having to literally like finish his uh, activities in the world when he passed away. So that, that like hits the nail on the head. I'm just curious now about K2 and what that mm -hmm. means for, you said that's also a karmic node. How is that different than Rahu? Yeah. So like Rahu is like the insatiable desire and also like really the karma that we're going to be acting on 
like you were talking about, like the type of karma where you're taking action, it's like, that's Rahu, you know, and it's also like the material world that attaches us to the material world. And so K2 is constantly trying to separate us and take us from the material world. K2 in the 12th house is a phenomenal placement for spiritual seekers. It could be K2 in the 12th or K2 12th from the moon is also really, really positive for this. Um, it gives natural spiritual insight because K2 is moksha. K2 is liberation. It is things from the past. So it's kind of like things that we've been working on from the past karmically. Um, and again, most importantly, it is that, that separation. Something that is important to remember about K2 is that it is like the tail of a snake. So we can have this element of getting stung by K2 almost wherever K2 is placed. It can have this, this type of energy sometimes, um, intense intensity, but the 12th house really matches the energy of K2 because the 12th house is also moksha, liberation, isolation, um, enlightenment, seeking the, the end of life almost so that you can liberate from this material world. And so when K2 is in the 12th, it feels at home. So it can really expand that insight and that awareness and that knowledge because K2 is also knowledge. So K2 feels super at home in the 12th. It's a phenomenal placement. Um, I've told you this. I remember when I met you, I was like, what, 21 or something. And I was like, oh, you've got the best placement for Rahu and K2. And you're like, well, I was a monk. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Um, and your brother as well, he has this place. So he was also a monk. So, um, yeah, so I hope that that answers the question. I love having personal charts to kind of play off of. I think that it, it helps explain things a lot better. Wow. That is such great info. Thank you for, for sharing that. And that makes a lot of sense. It's so cool to look at, um, how that overlays in our life and it, it can, it can just make the struggles feel, more purposeful, make more sense. Get, it just, it helps me cope with the, the reality of my life to know that stuff. It helps me cope too, man. It helps me cope too. I don't know what I would do without astrology. It, it's so significant and making life choices is just so much easier. Um, when you have a compass of, of not only what's supportive in the time, but also what's supportive in the chart. So I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really grateful to be able to share. Thank you so much for asking such a wonderful question. And I, I did just want to say, I think that offering food, I wanted to go back to that. Like, do you think that that's good? Like for the people listening, do you think saying that kind of silent intention on what they're going to use the food as energy in their system for, like, do you feel like that's a good place to start? You ever heard that thing? I'm sure, I know you have, but you are what you eat. Yeah. Um, it, it's like one of the most base Maslow hierarchy of needs. It's one of the most essential things to being. And I think it's just a profound, brilliant way to get at the bridge between materiality and spirituality is, is to offer and, and sacrifice a little bit of our time, take a few breaths, like integrate that, that experience, give thanks, give gratitude, like whatever that means for you. Like you don't have to follow any religious doctrine, but I think that serves is devotion right there. It's devotion in practice. And I think it's a great way to start uh, because it's not even about changing your karma. It's not even about like, oh God, I'm going to give you this food. If you like cut out some of my karma, it's, it's really, it's to feed the Supreme because the Supreme creates everything. And so it's like a way to give back. And I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, just to kind of wrap things up also, 
is first of all, that's attaching ourselves to the fruit of action, right? If we're like, if I do this, are you going to give me this? It's like, you're not, <laughs> there's, you know, we're attaching ourselves and we all do it. I mean, I've done Let's it. Let, let go at, at three, one, two, you know, like when you're trading some, uh, like right. the ransom money for the uh -huh. hostage. <laughs> totally. Um, and there was something else that I wanted to say. No, what were you talking about at the very end? Oh, bhakti. Something that I wanted to talk about bhakti because we've referred to it so much. Bhakti is love for the sheer pleasure of love. And so when we are practicing bhakti yogi, which is one of my, it, it's one of the most enchanting parts of my life, probably the most enchanting part of my life. It's living in this world and experiencing the bliss and the richness and the devotion for the sheer sensation of bliss and devotion. It's not to get anything because we've already been given this enchanting life. You know, it's, it's more of an appreciation. It's like this constant state of appreciation. What is, and, and it's a practice It's bhakti yoga because it's a practice to kind of stay in that state um, but I, I think it's really important to define that because it's not a religion in terms of praying to get something. It's, it's being a part of it because you can't not be in love with what you're experiencing through the divine. Does that, I does that, that resonate? It resonates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I, it is, it, it, it's, it goes so far as the the Vedas in, in certain parts of the Bhakti Shastras actually, it it says that the soul's constitution, like what the soul is made of, mm -hmm. is a service, a service doer. Like that's mm -hmm. what we eternally are. That's our our proper role uh, in in creation is to serve. And it's actually when we don't do that that we find suffering. Bliss is in the serving. And suffering is in the independent, you know, I mean, mine kind of mentality. And I think that's really practically easy to experience if anyone tries to live in a complete self selfish way. And I'm not talking about self-care. I'm talking about like complete ruthless exploitation. Uh, you know, that that's where you get the narcissist or the psychopath. You get people who are completely exploitative. And on the opposite end of that, you have like Mother Teresa or these saints who are completely serviceful. Mm -hmm. 100%. And what's so interesting is when we open our eyes to that, and I mean, maybe I should speak from my own personal experience on this, but when we act in service and when we act in devotion and we, we open our heart to the goodness of others, you know, this is part of bhakti. It's being able to see the goodness in others that's when everything comes to life, you know, and I think that that's when everything becomes easier <laughs> and life becomes more enjoyable. But I mean, narcissism is a lonely place to be people who only, and this is an extreme case, you know, but people who exploit others and will do anything that they can to get on top, they're missing the point, you know, um, things are nice to have, status is nice to have, fame is nice to have, whatever. But at the end of the day, being able to connect from the heart and being able to see each other as something more than a material mode, we're seeing beyond that, we're seeing the spirit soul, you know, like within each of a spirit soul is a term that Raghunath, one of my favorite teachers uses. But being able um, to see that 
that's when life really starts to change. And then we come to realize, whoa, I've been lied to this entire time. I don't need these beauty products. I don't need thousands of followers. I don't need all these things that affirm my worth because I can feel my true essence and I can see the true essence in others. And that being able to have that experience in this life is enough. I love that. I love how you said that. It makes you self-fulfilled. You are fulfilled in the self and not in anything external. And that is the the highest pursuit. You know, that's how to guarantee as much bliss as possible in this experience of life. Thank you so much, Kaylee. I would love to ask you, Kaylee, where can people find you to work with you? Thank you so much, Christine. Um, you can listen to my podcast, Be On Air. It's on all platforms, YouTube, everywhere. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at The Podcast Farm. And you can find me online at podcast-farm.com. And yeah, feel free to reach out. Uh, we're always posting podcasting, you know, share your message, resources. We're uh, amplifying voices of some really extraordinary uh, devotional people on the planet who are trying to to do good, to contribute, to leave the plate the the planet better than than how they found it, and it's a great community we have over there. You're part of it, Christine. That's part of why it's so great, and definitely uh, welcome any of your listeners to come on over and say hello. Oh, I would love that. Thank you. I have a few in mind that I think would do so well and have so much amazing things to share. So many amazing things to share. So thank you so much, Prabhu. I appreciate it so much. And I'm sure I'll talk to you very soon. Until then, blessings. Sounds good. Om Tat Sat. Hurry <laughs> on. <you? laughs>